Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Nava here. Uh, my partner, Jesse Romero, is, uh, is at a doctor's appointment. He'll be back uh, in a half the show, uh, the second half of the show. But today we have a, a special guest. It's Patricia Wenskunis. She's the CEO and founder of Crime Survivors. And um, we're glad to have her with us. She's been on the show uh, once before, probably a couple of years ago. So we really want to uh, introduce you to her and, and the fantastic work that she's doing and uh, she's that, that voice for the voiceless, basically. And uh, so welcome to the show, Patricia. Great to have you. Thank you so much. I, it's such an honor to be here and join you today uh, on this blessed day uh, of Thursday. So I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Can you, you, uh, do you want to tell the, the listeners, uh, first of all, just a little bit about yourself and, and how this came about, this endeavor came about, your, your story of... Um, uh, being a victim, but not uh, not allowing yourself to stay in that position. Uh, it's a it's truly a, a remarkable story. So I really want them to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for asking that. You know, sometimes it's it's not always easy to share, but I I use my platform because I feel like God gave me a calling um, to right. be able to help and empower and make an impact in my community. And so. Um, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life, but uh, my life really changed on April 4th of 2002 when my personal trainer came into my house, uh, drugged me, wrapped my face in head and saran wrap, beat me black and blue, screaming that he was going to kill me and my son, which was 12 years old at the time. Uh, as a single mom, it completely changed me. I never would have thought that somebody would want to kill me or kill my son. Um, it broke out into a fight. I eventually got over my uh, 12 foot balcony, which could I could have died when I fell over as well. Um, but eventually to get to the neighbors to call 911. Uh, long story short, he was charged with deliberate premeditated attempted murder, burglary in the first degree, assault with a deadly weapon and criminal threats. And through our legal system, he served approximately 120 days, five years anger management, five years probation. And oh. Yeah, it it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, it, it and that happened how many years ago, Patricia? That was in 2002. And so, you know, many of days today, I feel like a failure. I have to pray to, to God to say, please let me release that feeling, because in this climate, it's actually worse than back then. Yeah, I was going to say, I would expect that today. But by, by you know, 2002, um, you know, I was still working. I was still working the streets and uh, we saw people get uh, get charged and uh, that had to leave you with a lot of anger, I, I would imagine, and um, some things that were unresolved. So what did you do to, to, to help the healing? You know, it's interesting. I get asked that question a lot. Like, how did I work through the feelings and the emotions? How did I start a nonprofit organization? How did I get there? And you know what? I think there was definitely an intervention, as I always say, you know, um, as much as I didn't want to have to live through what I went through. Um, and some days it feels just like yesterday and some days it feels like forever ago. 
Um, but in all honesty, I feel like um, God was watching out for me and guiding me and protecting me and, and gave me a calling. And I made a promise to God on April 4th of 2002 with each and every next breath, I would live for community above self. And I like to think that I've kept that promise. Um, and as hard as it was, I had PTSD and anxiety and depression. And I stayed in my room for about six months until I heard my son in the other room say to a friend, you know, I wonder if my mom's ever going to be my mom again, or if I'm going to have to mother her. And then mm. I was like, uh Oh, like my son is everything to me. I, I think I need help here. And that's wow. when I went to counseling and therapy. I went and spoke to my priest. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the, the priest talking about things and, but it, my emotions in all honesty, I don't remember being angry. Like I don't ever remember that, that feeling as much. I feel, I felt sadness. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of things that victims feel, shame, guilt, blame, hurt, uh, distraught, alone, all of those feelings. But I don't remember anger or like I did at one point, to be honest, think, you know, gosh, I wish I would have fought harder looking back. Like I wish I would have bit him or kicked him harder or punched him. And then I was like, God, please forgive me because that's not who I am. I, I don't want to feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I. But I guess that was the the evil side coming in and wanting me to feel that. How about, um, for, how about, how about forgiveness, uh, Patricia? Was it hard to forgive? That, or have you been able to forgive them? I should ask. Forgiveness for me was not hard or difficult. Um, and again, right. I think it's because I was taught at a very young age and I went through a lot of things through my life that I also, with faith, there is hope. That's what I live by every single day. If I, I There's days I don't want to get out of bed still now, but mm -hmm. my faith allows me to be able to reflect and pray and to be able to say it's a new day, it's a new beginning. Um, I can't change what's happened in my life, but I have been able to forgive others. I forgave the individual that tried to take my life. Um, and I have forgiven myself. And it and I don't think the forgiveness for others, and I forgive every day. There's people in my life every single day that may not yeah. be physically harming me, but mentally harming me or emotionally, and I forgive them. Um, but I really feel that forgiveness is not about them. They may not even know, but know it. But forgiveness is for me so that I don't have to live with anger or fear or resentment or pain. And that allows me to still every day, smile, be happy, spend time with family and friends. Well, uh, Patricia, I know since you have the opportunity to speak to a lot of victims, would you say that uh, a lot of people, a lot of victims uh, blame themselves? They, they think that uh, they put themselves in a situation or, you know, you often hear like the rape victims. Uh, that, well, people will, will comment, well, if you had been dressing, you know, so scandalous or, or immodest, maybe that wouldn't have happened. That I'm sure you've heard those kind of comments. But how about in your case? Did, was it was there a was there a part of you that was trying to figure out if there was blame put on yourself or were you putting blame on yourself? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I definitely, uh, I, I, but I, I've walked that walk my entire life where, uh, I don't even do anything wrong. Somebody else does something wrong. And I ended up doubting myself, questioning myself, <laughs> blaming myself, asking for forgiveness for myself. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I didn't, whatever. Why am I seeking that? And a lot of victims do, of course, that's the first thing. And it, 
you know, I don't know if it's society that casts that upon victims. I always say I wish in my lifetime that we could get back to a place or we could get to a place, especially with media, because the first things you hear is, oh, he was murdered. Was he in a bad neighborhood? No, he was in the church parking lot. Oh, was she raped or sexually assaulted? Was she showing a lot of cleavage? Was she wearing a lot of makeup or a short skirt? No, he he it's his fault. They did this. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think we cast that shame and blame in the wrong direction. And I think it's time that we say enough is enough and we put that to somebody else um, and that victims can be their own voice and that we can be a voice for them. Awesome. So, so how did uh, you come about uh, founding Crime Survivors? And, um, and and can you tell the tell us where it's based out of? And Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, for me, God called me. And I answered the call um, and I didn't even know it in the beginning. You know, I, I always laugh and say, I don't know how I filled out all that paperwork myself. I don't know how I gathered people. But the only answer to me is God. God guided me to do it. He showed me how to do it. I was a great Girl Scout as a child. So <laughs> maybe that had part of me kind of taking the lead to be able to start this nonprofit. Um, and, you know, it was really also because of law enforcement, really, I, I always say beyond God calling me. It was law enforcement that stepped up to the plate to treat me with respect and dignity. Um, and they truly went above and beyond um, to help guide, uh, protect myself moving forward and launching the organization Crime Survivors and the Crime Survivors Resource Center, which is located in Santa Ana, California. Um, but we serve all of Southern California. We get a lot of calls from many different areas. I mean, sometimes I get calls from Michigan and Canada and Texas and Florida and all over the place. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have funding that we're not located in other states presently right now. But I, I dream that I I get a dream donor eventually someday to help us to expand. Um, but we really, you know, we have four components to our organization, awareness, prevention, advocacy, and healing. We wanna make sure that communities know that crime happens, it happens everywhere. How do you prevent it from happening? Um, advocacy, how do you advocate on behalf of victims or how do victims become their own voice? I've yeah. become a voice for the voiceless. And then healing, how do victims heal after their crime? Yeah, so um, what is it that you provide to the victims? Um, you know, is it counseling? Is it resources? Is it, is, is it um, physical needs, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, for maybe mothers, you know, uh, diapers and baby food and things of that nature? What is it yeah. that people come to you for? So, you know, every month we help 100 children with diapers and wipes. During the holidays, it can be closer to 200. So depending, wow. it gets very busy. Um, and with gift cards for groceries, uh, for food, for necessities, something as simple as a toothpaste, toothpaste and toothbrush or shampoo and cream rinse. Or um, yeah. it could be a journal and a pen. It could be counseling and therapy. Um, it all depends on the victim and the survivor. You know, last year we helped over 50 uh, victims that have been molested or raped wow. or sexually assaulted to get new beds and sheets and pillows and blankets Dang. because why should a rape victim or sexual assault have to be? Okay. okay. Hey, P Patricia, we're, we're coming up on a break. So we'll hold that thought. We're going to be right back on the other side of the break. <laughs> Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Uh, my special guest is Patricia Wenskun is from Crime Survivors. So I have a ride along in the car. Jesse's uh, not available until the, the next segment, but uh, we've been talking to her about her foundation and nonprofit that she has started uh, and how it's been about 20 years now or 15? next year will be 20 years. It's wow. unbelievable. I'm like, wow. Yes, that's amazing. You know, most companies, uh, most companies go under within three to five years. And, and for you to have that longevity, you must be doing something right or better yet. You've been blessed. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, is helping you and uh, leading the way. So we were talking about some of the things that you do and some of the, the, the people that come to you. Um, I know that you're uh, in the in the law enforcement community. Uh, you're well respected, and a lot of the sheriffs, a lot of the police chiefs, they uh, they support what you're doing. Um, could you could you tell us uh, how some of that that cooperation uh, collaboration comes comes about from your end? Yeah, you- and I think it's it had to be, I think it was earned, which I'm really proud of because, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started the organization, you know, I have to say that the Irvine Police Department were actually, they're the ones that truly went above and beyond for myself and for the organization helping us in the beginning. So they'll always have a special place in my heart. Um, but it was being able to get introductions to others throughout Southern California. And some of it, it had to be earned because, you know, mm-hmm. law enforcement can be tricky. You know, you, you have to be able to earn that trust, that respect, um, you know, and I think they probably got used to me not going away because I'm pretty <laughs> persistent and I'm like, you know, and I think they've also witnessed and seen, you know, where our finances go, where the money goes for the organization, which I'm really proud of over 93% of every dollar goes back to the community um, that when they call, I show up, uh, I answer the call. They've been able to witness that the victims and survivors that they refer over to us that were able to help them, support them, guide them. Uh, sometimes protect them. So I think that that's why it's been earned in a sense uh, and not given. Uh, Because especially when I came out full force, like against the system, because I believe the system failed me. um, But I always do it with respect. I always tell people, agree to disagree with respect. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be evil. You don't have to get nasty. Of course, in this climate, it is kind of nasty and most people can't agree to disagree, but I'm always going to. Yeah. I I know some of uh, your your closest friends, they, they, they try, they see how much you put into your, your work. And, uh, many times there's that, you know, they're, they're asking for you to get a little balance in your life because you give so much of your, of your time and effort and, and just time, your, your treasure as well. So, um, I mean, there was probably a time when it, it was very tough to, to even take a salary when you first started this, correct? Yeah, I did this for the first six years and didn't get paid and lived off my savings. And now I have no savings whatsoever. I really have nothing, uh, but I actually have more in my heart and my soul than I've ever had. So it's not about how much is in a bank account. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about the house you live in, at least for me. And I do know some people get very upset because they're like, you work too much. You don't make time for friends. You don't make time for family. You don't have a self. 
uh, you know, usually I'm here six days a week. I usually, I used to come in at seven in the morning. Now I seem to be coming in at six in the morning. I usually leave oh. at nine o'clock at night or I have my wow. office at home. So when I'm not here, I go home and I still work. But you know what? I, I tell people, this is not for everybody. But God called me and I accepted the calling and I feel so blessed and grateful and I don't want to go to the beach. I'd rather Mm -hmm. help a victim if they need help. And that's my choice. I look at Mother Teresa, who I feel is my mentor and somebody that I always, since I was a child, looked up to. And like, listen, she didn't make time for family and friends either. She went out in the community and she gave of her life. And so, yes, I have to get paid because I need to have a roof over my head. I need to drive a car. I need to have an income, but I don't need to do a lot of stuff of what other people choose. And that's their choice. They do what they want, but God has given me this choice and I absolutely love it. And I love life. Yeah. It's uh, it's great that you mentioned mother Teresa, because I have so much respect for her, you know, working in uh, the slums of Calcutta. And uh, I recall a story that uh, she would take in, you know, people that were Lying, laden in the streets, homeless and, and dying. This particular gentleman was was doing was just that. He was older. He was about to die, and she wanted him to die with dignity. And she brought him in, cleaned him up, and and she was just soothing him and rubbing his face and saying, "You're about to meet Jesus." And he and he was a Hindu man, and she's "You're about to meet Jesus." You're and she and she, he kept she kept saying that, and he opened his eyes and he looked at her and says, "Will this just will this Jesus be anything like you?" So, um, you know, we we are called to be the face of Jesus, the you know, the voice and the hands and arms. And uh, I think that's uh, that's what you're doing. Uh, you, you mentioned you uh, you were called and and, you know, God doesn't doesn't call the qualified. Uh, he just qualifies the called. Right. So he's uh, as long as we we uh, surrender to him and offer our uh, our good works at, you know, to him and, and we glorify him in what we're doing. So you are doing what uh, a lot of the, um, what if you look up Matthew 25, you know, um, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And, you know, it's a passage I'm sure you're familiar with where he says, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me something to drink and clothed me when I was naked. All those things, all those good things are um, adding up for you, Patricia. So uh, you, um, you keep up the good work. But uh, tell me. Tell me, do are any any stories that uh, come to mind that of uh, someone who maybe was so distraught when he, they came to you and you were able to, or your organization was able to give them uh, some solace or some comfort or material goods? Well, and it's interesting because I want to go back for a second because I'm also no Mother Teresa, just to let you know. I'm also a sinner, no. imperfect, flawed individual. Sure. And so I always tell people that and they're always like, don't say that, Patricia. It makes it no. seem like there's something wrong with you. And I'm like, there is. There's something yeah. wrong with you, too. We're right? all sin- Yeah, we're all sinners. <laughs> we're, we're all there, but we're doing our best. At least I am for sure. But, you know, I try to add humor into everything I do as well, mm-hmm. because I think we need to lighten our load. And especially in this darkness place of you mentioned helping victims, you know, we're dealing with victims that have had their children murdered or their loved ones murdered, and they need help with funeral and burial, and they need help with guidance, and they need to be able to know that obviously closure never exists, but that they can have healing, they can get counseling and therapy, they can have somebody walking us alongside with them, or the woman that had her teeth knocked out by her husband, and now she needs help and guidance, and we're able to help her to be able to get to a doctor to get reconstructive surgery done, or new 
dental work done or the yeah. the woman that was raped and sexually assaulted and she is just feeling like she can have nowhere to go and what can she do to get through the process or the child that we have three girls right now that are you know under the age of 12 and they were all molested by their fathers mm. And, you know, being able to have hope and healing and relocate and now struggling with their mom to try to provide for this family. So, you know, we just went and bought them a new refrigerator, you know, covered all the expenses for blankets and hygiene items, connected them to a therapist. So it's those small little things that add up to the big things, um, whether it's a human trafficking victim that we had to put into a hotel for five nights. Um, So there's so many different things. We don't stay in a box of sorts because I don't feel it's my place to tell a victim what they need. I want to be able to hear from them what they need. And sometimes they don't know what they need, but I can ask them questions like, do you need help with your utility bills? Do you need, you know, would you go to counseling and therapy? Will you go to your place of worship and meet with someone? Um, So it's all those little things to take individuals out of the darkness and into the light of which I feel that it goes back to, again, with faith, there is hope. Right. And sometimes people don't know what they want until they know what's available and they don't know what's available until someone like yourself makes them aware. So that's that's uh, amazing. Uh, So um, how could people help you? Because this is all, uh, you know, it's a nonprofit. So you, you accept donations and if somebody's so moved, uh, maybe it's a listener uh, is moved to to want to contribute to to your foundation. How how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so they can contact us uh, at 844-853-HOPE, which is 4673. They can email me directly, Patricia at crimesurvivors.org. They can go to our website, which is crimesurvivors.org as well. And listen, we need all the help we can get, especially, you know, during the holiday season. You know, we help a thousand children with toys and gift cards, uh, family meal baskets, gift cards for groceries during the holidays for over 500 families, Um, especially for Thanksgiving. We do the same over 500 families. uh, We will be helping for Thanksgiving this year. Um, we're trying to find a dream donor to help so that I don't have to beg all the time for every penny that comes in. So yes. anybody that you know, wants to give. And one of my dreams right now is to find a warehouse because I really want to open up a, a hope distribution center for our organization to mm. provide things like lamps and beds and sheets and clothing and toys and blankets to victims and survivors. And so I'm really looking for that right now. If anybody's listening and has an opportunity to have a warehouse to donate to us uh, or a storage unit, that would also be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Well, the, the just the the story you told me about uh, the the building that you're in now, uh, how it was, how it came about, and it had to be from the goodness of, of someone's heart, and and obviously, you know, the good Lord was was looking out for you. That's a that was a cool story. Can you share that? Yeah, you know, I for for so long I worked out of my house, out of my garage, out of my car, out of law enforcement department stations, uh, clinics, hospitals, Starbucks, uh, you know, law school, wherever I could go to find space to meet with victims or talk to people. 
Um, and then I got rid of my vehicles so that I could help the organization more. Um, and then um, this location came up, uh, abide by, you know, I think the great work that we were doing in the community and Dr. Chaudhry of KPC Health, Orange County Global Hospital, uh, which is an incredible uh, man, uh, our living angel, I say of sorts, that gave us this space so we didn't have to pay for rent or utilities or anything. And so we're here. I hope that we can continue to be here. Um, but we do need a bigger space now because we've ran out of room um, here and we would also like to expand. And so we're so grateful. And I do feel that definitely God gave us this space. And I pray every day, please allow us to keep this space. Please allow us to to get a larger space and to continue to grow. Because in all honesty, the need is greater now than I have ever seen it before. It's yeah. sad because of the laws, because of things that are happening within our communities. Uh, we, we definitely need it for the victims and survivors. Well, you, you just mentioned uh, the, the victims today, and we all know if, if we're listening to the news, just how um, the, the, the justice system is, is the, you know, Lady, Lady Justice, is, she's got to be weeping because the scales are no longer, you know, balanced. They're, they're all siding for the, for the suspects, for the, you know, perpetrators. So uh, anyway, Patricia, I, I think we're coming up on a break, but I really wanted to thank you for coming on to the show and making us aware of the fine work you're doing there. And if people wanted to, maybe they don't have the finance to donate, but they could, they could want to put together some baskets. I'll, I'll put that out there for them to get a hold of you and help you out. So thank you again. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless everybody. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. Now, a two-man car, my partner's is here with me. Uh, Jesse, uh, welcome to back to the show. So reporting uh, for duty, sir. Yes, we just uh, we just had Patricia Wentz Kunis on from Crimes Survivors. Uh, just to, yeah, I was listening. I was listening on uh, on the way over here. Awesome, good, okay. good, uh, good job, bro. Okay, so uh, let the let us know what we're going to be talking about right now, Jess. Well, let's uh, let's move on to <clears throat> what uh, this article that says many atheists know God exists. They're just angry that we depend on him. I, th I think this guy is onto something. Uh, and I, th I find it very interesting because as I do hear atheists argue like, you know, Bill Maher and Christopher Hitchens, <clears throat> you can't hate, they hate God. And that's the point that he's making. You can't hate something that doesn't exist. In other yeah. words, I don't hate unicorns because I don't think unicorns exist. Right. I don't hate green men in the moon because I don't think green men in the moon exist. How about As climate the, change? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate Just the promoters kidding. of climate change, yeah, yeah. In, even though I think it's fake science. So let's jump right into it. The Catechism okay. says in 2126, atheism is often based on, on, a false mis, uh, on a false conception of human autonomy, exaggerated to the point of refusing any dependence on God. That, I think this is exactly the gist of the article. They don't hate, uh, they're not atheists, they're not, they're not pure atheists, they just hate God. They're trying to find reasons to convince other people that there is no God just because they hate Him so much. So the author of this article, Angelo Stagnaro, says, he quotes Deuteronomy 32, uh, from 35 and following, it says, the, where the Lord says, Learn that I, 
I alone am God and that there's no gods besides me. It is I who bring both death and life. I who inflict wounds and heal them. With vengeance, I will repay my foes and requite those who hate me. Close quote. Over the years, I've spoken, says this, uh, the author, to many hundreds of atheists, and among them, I've yet to meet one who didn't believe in God. Instead, these people express hatred for God. When I show atheists the, argu- the numbers involved in, let's say, the fine-tuning argument, the Hashem equation, or the ontological argument, or any other excellent arguments for God's existence, the atheists in my sights will inevitably, like night follows the day, respond pettily, like, in other words, like kids. Then they'll say, well, then why is God killing small children with leukemia? In Peter Schaeffer's Amadeus, the conniving, embittered, resentful Salieri, the protagonist, conspires much against his much more talented rival, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and God. His envy even leads him to burn a crucifix, cursing God, saying this, quote, from now on, we are enemies because you, cho- you choose for your instrument, Mozart, a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy, and give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I, will, I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I'm able. So this is called, the author says, this is called misotheism which means the hatred of God, rage at God's permitting or, perpet- or perpetrating suffering and injustice. The word is a Greek word, uh, mis- misotheos, hating God. It was first recorded in Achilles Agamemnon, which is a written work, which was first performed in 458 BC. Let me just read this yeah. and I'll just give other misotheist include, these are God-haters, Epicurus, he's back in the time of St. Paul, Thomas Paine, James Mill, Ludwig Feuerbach, Karl Marx, Pierre-Joseph Prodhan, Mikhail Bakunin, Peter Kropokin, Nietzsche, Freud, William Epps, Empson, Gore, Vidal, Virginia Woolf, Algernon Swinburne, Zora Neale Hurston, Rebecca West, Eli Wessel and Frank Schaefer. Astronomer Freeman Dyson described God as his enemy. Camus demanded a concerted metaphysical rebellion against God. Bernard Schweitzer admitted that his myth, misotheism, his hatred of God, was his religious dissent against God. But it was misotheistic philogaster Thomas Nagel in his 1997 potboiler, The Last Word, who said the quiet part out loud. Ruben, what did he say? So, uh, yeah, he said, I want atheism to be true and uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that. I don't believe in God. And naturally, I hope that I'm, I'm right in, in my belief. It's that, I ho- it's that I hope there's no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. You know, Jesse, we, some of these people are, are probably very intelligent, which kind of surprises me. Like you mentioned earlier, Hitchens, you know, um, one of the, one of the smartest guys around, but, uh, mm-hmm. but in same, terms of like, IQ, yeah, in terms of IQ, IQ you're right. They have correct. high IQ. Yeah. So St. Thomas, you know, Aquinas, he, he writes that 
knowing whether God exists can be achieved merely by natural reason. Uh, so it's always, it's, uh, I just can't understand it. And saying he was correct, you know, the question of knowing whether God can exist pertains to reason and, and intelligence, not not requiring faith. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The church teaches that God can be known by reason alone. You don't need to open yeah. up a Bible. You don't need to go to mass. Reopen the catechism. You don't need to be told by a catechist. Reason alone will tell you that there is a God by natural reasoning processes. Now, if you want details about God, then you need specific revelation. That would be sacred scripture and sacred tradition. So you could get the the nuances, the specificities about God. But just to know that there is a God, uh, that he exists and he's a creator of all things. All you need is reason alone. Right, right. And again, St. Thomas says that it's the path to reasoning is to the existence of God is not particularly a difficult one to follow. And I mean, all you have to do is look around, but uh, that's and, right. And see, and see the order in life, in society and or not in society in, uh, in the cosmos, just in the unit. Yeah, yeah. In the universe. We say the cosmos, the cosmos, cosmology, order, aesthetic, beauty, precision, design. I mean, uh, scientists have even admitted Ruben that if, planet earth was one inch closer to the sun it would be too hot to sustain human life here if we were one inch further away from the sun planet earth would be too cold to sustain human life so whoever created the cosmos and the earth and the sun made it perfectly equidistant so that it could sustain human life (laughs) we call that intelligent design we call that god exactly so he goes on to say that uh the author says, my belief in God doesn't affect the reality of his existence, and neither does the most fervent and fevered opinion of some random atheist. There's more narcissism than reason to his self-profession. Unless we forget, uh, Lucifer's rejection of God was the result of his hatred for him and not merely a desire for autonomy. He was intimately familiar with the love that uh, moves the sun and the other stars and rejected it. Lucifer Hated love. There is nothing different in what Nagel asserts. He's not arguing from a logical or scientific perspective. He's merely voicing his his feelings. If wishes were fishes, we'd all have a nice lunch. You know, um, the author says he likes chocolate ice cream. I do too, over any other flavor. But uh, no matter what I think, say, or do, pistachio ice cream will not cease to exist. Unfortunately, now mm. I like pistachio. That's my favorite with chocolate <laughs> syrup on it. <laughs> um, so atheists often repeat the hackneyed, hackneyed uh, screed, even if, quote, quote, even if a God ha- as described in the Bible does exist, he is not fit for worship due to his low moral standards, end quote. Hmm. This is a bad faith argument. Why would anyone trust an atheist who labels God, the church, or Christians in general as evil, while simultaneously insisting that evil doesn't exist? Logicians call this jibber-jabber. Why would anyone trust an atheist who says he and other atheists are the most compassionate and non-judgmental people in the world while simultaneously refusing to help anyone while judging anyone who disagrees with them? I pray for atheists, as do many Catholics, if someone slips on an icy sheet, icy street, I don't ask them if they're Catholic or before assisting them. However, atheists routinely and actively attack Catholics though they are circumspect when it comes to Muslims. Very good point, because Muslims also believe in one God who's a creator, and they never go after Muslims for believing in God and, and call them a bunch of whack Never. Nope. 
Yep. It says, uh, I'll go right down to the last uh, last uh, paragraph because I think that's where he read. Well, the, the next paragraph, the history of atheism is littered with a tiresome detritus of uninformed atheists whose last resort when arguing against Catholics, but oddly never against Muslims. Hmm. They're always screaming, God is evil. But this is yet another of their insincere and confused opinions. If God is bad by any measure, an atheist would never be able to recognize the idea because atheists don't believe in an objective moral reality or even the concepts of good and evil. So how would they know that God was evil? If they can't define or accept the concept of good and evil, what makes them think they know anything about God's supposed evil? They can't have it both ways, and I'm delighted to point it out to them. As Thomas Paine rightly points out, to argue with a man who's renounced the use and authority of reason and whose philosophy consists in in holding humanity in contempt is like administering medicine to the dead. Atheists are God-haters, misotheists, and misotheists are angry. They, They can't see the facts. They can't see logic. They're angry if their cherished belief in their own perfection is challenged. Psychologist Stephen Vail has conducted a great deal of research into narcissism. The more extreme values they hold, the stronger their diagnoses. The basic nature of the narcissist is one of contempt for the rest of humanity. Regardless of the meager accomplishments of any particular narcissist, God still stands in his or her way as the ultimate authority and standard by which all are judged. God is the hope of salvation for believers and the stumbling block for the self-blind who think themselves wise and good. Ruben, yeah. there's, a, there's a verse in the Bible, I think it's in Romans one twenty two. it says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That <laughs> describes atheism. And there's also another psalm that says, Only the fool believes there is no God. I think it's Psalm 14. Right. Yeah. And and then Ecclesiastic 1.9 says, what has, been, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And this uh, it's a famous observation of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it applies in a certain extent to the recent upsurge of Catholic interest in, and more importantly, serious engagement with atheism. And it was really, I think, after Vatican II. So anyway, be right back. We're done. This side. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 888- Five two six two one five one. Two man car, ten eight for Jesus, Jesse and Ruben, and uh, we're talking. We're going to be switching gears and talking about a uh, Catholics must keep fighting Biden's single-minded extremism on abortion. Talk uh, about narcissist. A, you know the yes. definition of narcissist that we just mentioned in the last uh, segment. This defines this guy exactly. Uh, he's over here laughing, saying, "Hey, there is no red wave across the country." I guess you know. Uh, they're saying, even the left, MSNBC, CNN, they're saying, but president, three three out of four Americans don't like the trajectory of the country. They don't like where the country's going. We're going to do the same thing. There was no red wave. This guy is such a deluded narcissist. And this is th- this guy is so evil. He's wicked. Just the way he speaks, mm-hmm. his speeches are just laced with evil. But yeah, let's just jump into this, Ruben. The Catholics, uh, the author says, Kathy Schiffer says, uh, Catholics must keep fighting Biden's single-minded extremism on abortion. Uh, there's a common misconception amongst the secular community, but also among some Christians, that the, that the church should not speak on politics and should not try to impose its views on anyone. To do so, uh, 
The keep it to yourself crowd says is disrespectful and out of line. But in reality, everyone is trying to explain to themselves and to others to convince others that their point of view is the right one. To say that only Catholics cannot participate in our pluralistic society's great public conversation is discriminatory and unfair. In fact, it's our mission to inspire change in the secular order. Pope John Paul II, in his apostolic exhortation, Christophilus Leitch, he wrote that the, that the lay faithful are called by God so that they might contribute to the sanctification of the world. Close quote. Presidential dissonance and single-minded extremism. How should a Catholic in public office integrate his faith into his policies? I pose the question because Joe Biden's America's second Catholic president and the worst ever we've ever had, and his yes. political supporters appear oblivious to the conflict between the president's professed Catholic faith and his sharply anti-Catholic political views. That's a very good statement. Anti-Catholic political views. Or perhaps they simply don't care, or he doesn't care. The president seems to have a total disregard for Catholic teaching in so many areas, but especially on abortion, which he supports wholeheartedly, but also on the logic and the necessity of living as male and female and respecting the bodies which God has given us, an idea which he rejects by his welcoming LGBTQ activists and the transgender lobby. Biden publicly endorsed same-sex marriage in 2012 and in 2016, while serving as vice president, he officiated at the wedding of two male White House staffers at the Naval Academy. Ruben, pick it up. Yes, and, and he always brags that he was the one who, yeah. who convinced Obama to, to, um, to sign off on that uh, gay marriage. Yep. So, yeah, he's real proud of that. Uh, the Catholics that I meet, the author says, in, in the pew often ask themselves and one another, why is it President Biden barred from receiving the Eucharist? Indeed, while he call, calls himself a devout Catholic, um, his blatant disregard for Catholic teaching means at least too many devout Catholics that is that he is not aligned with the teaching of, the, the, of Christ and his church. So I think he needs to uh, redefine his uh, what devout means because it's certainly not what uh, it's in this, you know, what we believe devout is. So for that reason, they believe Biden should be denied the Eucharist, as do we. We've spoken about that on, on previous shows to preserve the dignity of the sacrament, but also to prevent Mr. Biden from falling further into sin. Um, the Apostle Paul, he warned the Christians in Corinth that to receive the Eucharist unworthily is to be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. First Corinthians eleven twenty seven. So Paul doesn't spell out what specific penalty the unworthy recipient would face, but it would be severe. So one might expect that someone who was so vociferously opposed to church teaching as President Biden would not want to present himself to receive the Eucharist, and that if he did, he would be turned away by the priest whose responsibility it is to safeguard the sacrament. Jess, if I'm not mistaken, that verse goes on to say that that's many are asleep, you know, like many have died as a result yes, of yes. receiving communion unworthily. So yes. the fact that he's not dead yet doesn't mean he's going to have his judgment. So um, it could be he's going to go to that, his eternal death at the rate he's going, and right. he's going to go on. He's going to go uh, in mock speed and warp speed. Yeah, all that, all that, all the things that we this article points out that he's done that he's participated. Uh, um, he's against uh, the church teaching. 
and he's leading others to sin, that's all going to be presented to him, uh, you know, like, like a reel, like a movie reel. And uh, he's, you know, like some of the great saints says, we're just going to, Christ is going to have to send us to hell. We're sending ourselves there. We're like, you know, we're going to take a nosedive, you know, like you're going off the high dive and okay, I, this is my place. <laughs> Go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Uh, after, after after President Biden announced last week that his highest priority would be codifying a national right to abortion, Archbishop William Lowry, about time, uh, chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities, issued a statement emphasizing the constant teaching of the Catholic Church regarding the dignity of life. <clears throat> quote, the president is gravely wrong, close quote, the statement said. Well, that's about time. They should be saying that, putting out that statement every day. Yeah. To con- wish, uh, Bishop Lowry says... To continue to seek every possible avenue to facilitate abortion, instead of using his power as president to increase support and care and care and care to mothers in challenging situations, the single-minded extremism must end. And we implore President Biden to recognize the humanity in preborn children and the genuine life-giving care needed by women in this country. The statement went on to confirm the Catholic Church's commitment to protecting the right of life of every human being and to ensuring that pregnant and, and uh, parenting mothers are fully supported in the care of their children before and after birth. The USCCB statement was a strong reiteration of the church's position, which is generally understood by its members, but often ignored by those who speak only of reproductive freedom or women's rights without considering the other smaller human, the baby. There's a common misunderstanding, too regarding the Establishment Clause in the Bill of Rights, which speaks of the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ruben. So JFK's assurance and the present situation. Um, you know, obviously, we know that Biden's the second Catholic president, JFK being the first. Uh, and both of them were not so strong Catholics. Um, no, no. So he, JFK, John F. Kennedy, a Catholic, competed for the office of the presidency, or when he did, it's 1960, there was a good amount of anti-Catholic bias in our nation. He won, in fact, after only telling the American voters that he wouldn't take orders from a pope in a speech speech to the Greater Houston Ministerial Association in front of hundreds of Protestant ministers. Kennedy assured them that he believed in an America where separation of church and state was absolute. He added that the Constitution required that federal aid should not be extended to Catholic schools, and he promised to disregard the teachings of the Catholic Church on matters such as birth control, divorce, censorship, gambling, or any other subject. Even even at that, Kennedy won against Richard Nixon by a margin of only 112,827 votes, which represents only a 0.18%. Wow. So, so was that close? One can argue in hindsight that by giving up the right to speak on matters of personal morality in the public square, Kennedy had abandoned his faith. Archbishop Charles Chaput, one of the good guys, said that, uh, that Kennedy was wrong about American history and very wrong about the roles of religious faith in the nation's life in our nation's life. Well, acknowledging that there are more Catholics in American politics today than at any point in American history, Shapu wondered how many of those can coherently explain how their faith informs their work or even feel obligated to try. Uh, you know, a good example of that in, in, it's not politics, but in the Supreme Court, you know, uh, Justice Scalia and, and Clarence Thomas, both solid Catholics that go to mass and and they they put their faith first to help them make the tough decisions that they're going to they're going to uh, put out. 
So some say, however, that the opposite was true, that prejudice against Catholics declined and millions were exposed to the church's rituals and teachings. Political science professor Larry Sabato, director of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, talked about what he terms the Kennedy effect, the longstanding acceptance of Catholics across the political spectrum. And while the Kennedy presidency may have laid the groundwork for church-state relations, it did not close the book on the debate since that time some American church leaders have been strong in the defense of the tenets of faith and directly focusing on the evil of abortion. And, and I'll just mention that there, the church does not teach that the separation of church and state. You know, we believe that Christ is king and uh, there's documents that uh, will we'll, there's papal documents. Yeah. The, the, the separation of church and state. Uh, this comes from the Freemasons. It's a Freemasonic idea. You have you have popes papal documents that completely speak out against it. We believe in what's called the social kingship of Christ, which means in a nutshell is that the Catholic Church's goal is to make Jesus Christ king and Lord of every human heart and king and Lord of every nation. That's the only that's the only compromise uh, that Catholics (laughs) are willing to make. None. Uh, And and the article goes on to show uh, some other uh, Catholic cardinals like Archbishop John O'Connor, Sean O'Malley, Archbishop Raymond Burke, uh, Archbishop Chaput that have made powerful Bishop Michael Burbage of Arlington, Virginia. They've made powerful statements against the Democrats, against uh, the pro-board Democrats regarding uh, regarding the church's teachings. So the article does go on to give us some some uh, stalwart bishops that do speak the truth in charity. Uh, the very last sentence says here in this article, there is not likely to be a resolution to the problem anytime soon, but that shouldn't keep faithful Catholics from understanding their faith and standing ready to explain it to our public officials when necessary. Now, although there are some good bishops that have made public statements, here's where all of them fall short. They all have to just break out Canon 915 and say, I warned you, you're excommunicated and make it public. And, and right. quit saying, well, you're automatically excommunicated, you know, uh, you know, if you support abortion. No, no. Make it public. Their sins are public. They're, 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 they're sticking their middle finger at the cath- at their church right at our face. These bishops have to make it public, and they have to say, you're out. You're excommunicated. That would send shockwaves across the country, Ruben. Anything right. less, and these, these Catholic politicians are not going to wake up from their, from their coma. That's right. Okay, Jess, I think that's, uh, we're coming to yeah, an end. I just done. want to throw, I just want to uh, put out again, if they want to donate to uh, Crime Survivors, it's crimesurvivors.org, uh, phone number 844-853- Hope. So it's 844-853-4673. And uh, anyway, uh, you've been listening to Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. And we are out. We are in to watch 10-7, Jesse. Out. Yeah. Talk to you later, guys. Pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. Right. Faustina's Prayer for Priests. O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, 
grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them ever.